Happy New Year, we love to watch. Before we get started on our best movies of 2018 episode, I did want to let you know that uh, Josephine, our guest in this episode, does disappear uh, in the last couple minutes of the recording. Uh, We don't get to hear his number one movie, and then we don't really say goodbye to him. And if you're thinking that's a little odd, there's a good reason for it. Joseph insisted that his number one movie of 2018 was was a tie between a goofy movie and an extremely goofy movie, and neither of those movies came out in 2018. So we cut out a half-hour argument with Joseph where we're like, Joseph, they came out in separate years, one was straight to video. Either way, I mean, they're great movies, but neither of them came out in 2018. And Joseph's like, you guys are idiots. These are my favorite movies. I get to pick. And so instead of leaving you, the audience, with all that information about a goofy movie, an extremely goofy movie, and why they belong as the best movies of 2018, we cut all that out. We didn't even bother saying goodbye to Joseph or letting him be in the rest of the podcast. He's, of course, welcome back. Uh, but if you want to know what happened, that's what happened. There's nothing else, not like a weird recording malfunction that happened. Uh, that is 100% the truth of what happened. Now, please enjoy... Uh, Aaron and Peter's 15 favorite movies of the year and uh, Joseph's 14 favorite movies of 2018. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Joseph Finn. And we love to watch. We love to watch the best movies of last year. Pete, hey Joseph. The best of the year boys are back again. Best, best of, of the year boys. Year. Yeah, this is so we'll, I'm going to get right into it. So where we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. Typically, we pick a theme and do a month's worth of movies around that theme, but sometimes we do little special epics. And this is one of those. This is our fourth annual best movies of the year episode that we uh, release at the beginning of each year to look back on the previous year. No, no, no. Not the year that just happened. Not 2019. What do you think we are? Fancy movie critics in our ivory towers who get to go to advanced screenings and not care about our families because we're so busy dealing with cinema. No. We like to take our time to watch movies. We like to have good relationships with our family members. And we uh, we like to let stuff soak in. Except for, for the month of October. For the month of October, we have terrible relationships with our family members. Uh, but you know what? It's January. We have a whole nother October coming up to, to destroy relationships with. But for now, uh, we're going to focus. I feel like the movies from 2018 have finally kind of soaked in into our seams. And we're ready to finally declare... Uh, unlike these uh, Johnny Come Earlys, uh, what the actual best movies of 2018 are. Uh, and we're going to do that with, uh, for the fourth time, uh, our regular guest for this annual feature, Joseph J. Finn. Joseph, thank you so much for coming back on our show. And why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Hello, everyone. I'm Joseph Finn. I've been on such episodes as Firefox, one of the greatest Clint Eastwood movies ever made. Uh, this is my fourth <laughs> time doing the best of the year episode, and it's really happy to be here. 
You really like throwing that Firefox thing right back in her face. Firefox. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to get going. So here's how it's, here's how it works. So first we're going to go around the horn and just talk about notable movies that we just didn't get a chance to see even though we had a whole extra year. Because it is important, I think, to go, hey, Aaron, why would you leave out that movie everyone liked? Well, I didn't see that movie everyone liked. Again, I have a family. I'm sorry. Uh, then we're going to get into some special menchies. Those are movies that aren't necessarily even on our top 20 or 15 or anything like that, but just movies that we really love that want to call attention to. And then we're going to go through our list of kind of Ani menchies. Those are honorable mentions, our ranks 15 through 11. And then we're going to talk about the movie we disliked most of the year because we don't want to save that for the end and bring everyone down and then we're going to go through from 10 to 1 our favorite movies of 2018 so without further ado we will get started i can start with some notable ones i missed even doing uh catch up for this so uh a few that i do want to call attention to uh, i did not get a chance to watch um uh roma uh, which I know a lot of. I feel like it's kind of kind of mixed at this point what people think about that movie. But I did not get a chance to watch it. I did not see The Night Comes for Us, The Hate You Give, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, Zama, Isle of Dogs, The Rider, The Other Side of the Wind, They Shall Not Grow Old, or A Star is Born. So those are kind of some of the big hitters. I did watch about 100 2018 movies overall. Uh, still hoping to get to a few of those on that list, but those are some notable ones I missed. Joseph. What did you not get a chance to see? Well, in 2018, uh, going through the uh, list that I'm looking at, uh, I have not still had a chance to see... Uh, sorry that this thing is slowing down here. Uh, I never did see First Man. Um, I have not seen... Uh, uh, what the heck is it called? Uh, Ready Player One, so I can't speak to that. Uh, didn't I don't see think Love that Simon would make your first... list. <laughs> it probably would not, but I did not see Love, Simon, which I've heard some interestingly good things about. Um, I did not see for films that many people didn't like. I did not see Vice. Uh, and somehow I completely missed out and still haven't caught up on Ralph Breaks the Internet or Mid-90s, two films that I am quite interested in. And I did not see uh, Beautiful Boy. That's probably the one that I'm kind of annoyed about because I feel I should have seen it by now. I didn't see Beautiful Boy either. Is that a 2018 movie? I believe so. I usually like to watch Steve things Cur about my beautiful baby boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I my list is uh, similarly long. Uh, I don't think I need you need to make excuses for not catching this stuff because as soon as one year ends, the next turn of best of best of lists uh, kicks in again. And you just have to start the rat race all over again. And I feel like that's a really unhealthy way to view movies is this like things you need to knock off for cred. Right. Um, so I like uh, like True. That's why we do this. Except in October. Except in October. <laughs> when Only numbers matter. It's only for cred. It's only for cred. Um, one of the big ones from last year I missed that I'm pretty sure I'm going to love a lot is the writer. Beale Street. Uh, well, if Beale Street could talk. Um, uh, Cold Can't for War. Peter. You didn't see it. First Man and Roma were all like uh, the the big movies that I realized. I was like, I was like, oh cool, we're recording that uh, that uh, best of twenty eighteen thing in a couple weeks. I got plenty of time, and I was like, oh fuck, well okay, I guess I t I don't have any time. Understood. Um, but I yeah. did catch up on Cold War. It's not going to make my list, but it is really really good. 
Yeah. Um, a uh, author that we love, uh, Alice Cott, who wrote uh, Zero, a comic book, um, and also wrote the Bloodborne comic book, um, has just been talking about on Twitter for like a couple weeks now about how much he loves Cold War. Um, and that's what's really pushed me to, to want to see that one. So that's that's what we didn't see. But now let's get going. Let's let's go with Joseph's favorite name section of this. Uh, Special Epis. Uh, wait, not Special Epis. Special Menchi. Sorry. Special Menchis. I am so sorry. This Joseph, is a real Special Mench to me for listening to the Special Menchis. I I, I forgot that. <laughs> I forgot that this is a Special Epi. And during the Special Epi. We have Smashy Menchies. I'm very sorry. My resignation letter will be on both of your tables on, on Monday. Um, we just yeah. made uh, Joseph age. Uh, if you had opened up the Ark of the Covenant just for like three seconds. <laughs> just that amount. <laughs> just the, Yeah, why didn't they shut it right away? They just would be old instead of exploded and melted. <laughs> really poor planning Nazis. Um, anyway... <laughs> So I'm going to do a classic Aaron move, which is to lump in uh, three movies into my first Special Menchie. I won't spend uh, at length talking about it, but one thing that always gets tough about this is, uh, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, I'm a huge horror guy, and there were some really great horror films uh, released in 2018. Uh, a few of them do make my top 15, uh, but a couple of them that I really want to draw attention to did not. So actually, as I'm saying this, I'm going to bump that up to five horror movies. I want to call it. So wait, two. you're going to name. You're going to have nine special menchies. I'm going to have five. No, I'm going to have six total because my second one is just an isolated movie. But uh, stuff that was really close, I want to call out like Let the Corpses Tan, uh, which is just amazing. It was my 19. It doesn't make the list, but it's fantastic. Uh, Revenge, which was sitting in my top 15 for a long time until I saw more movies, unfortunately, and slipped to 24. Uh, the Endless, which is at 29, uh, which is by uh, We Did Spring on this podcast. It's it's by those guys. And I don't want to say too much about it beyond that because it, it has kind of an amazing uh, spoiler halfway through if you've seen all their movies. Can we pause there? Because that didn't make my top 15 either. Uh, the Endless is those guys, uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, uh, they have a new movie coming out as well. Um, and those guys are, I feel like they're like weirdly the, the filmmakers we root for most. We talk about a lot of like dead filmmakers or retired filmmakers or filmmakers that already got their, their, you know, their cred on this show. Um, with those guys, I'm like, their star is rising and I'm pretty sure everyone is going to know their name in like five years. And so I love to like boost them. Yeah. Just, just really, they are like one of those people who every six months I check their, uh, IMDb and see if they have a new movie coming out or what they're working on because they do feel very like a even though they've only made three movies they just feel like Spring was such an amazing movie to me and uh, yeah and their their other two movies are fantastic too uh, The Ritual which went to Netflix which was just a surprise like a uh, kind of a Blair Witch in the woods in a foreign country type thing that just like truly like freaked the shit out of me uh, even if it got a little too bombastic in its end. And then the one that was the most surprising, considering, even though I know a lot of people like it, I fucking hated the first one. Uh, Unfriended Dark Web absolutely rules. Uh, oh, it is, I still I, have to watch that, and I loved the first Unfriended. I, like, I passionately huh. dislike the first Unfriended. This movie, like, takes a concept that I was very interested in, fixes all of my problems with it, puts an interesting, like, twist and commentary on, like, 
nature of capitalism and internet trends and all this sort of stuff and uh and makes it even more scary it is really 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 good so if you're like me and uh and again the reason i disliked unfriended i I may have talked about on the show so much it was kind of like paranormal activity lazy a little bit for like oh it's supernatural stuff that doesn't really make that much sense and then the the prospect of sitting with high schoolers talking on skype for an hour and a half like i think they got it accurate i think I think they gave us a good sense of what that would be like to be listening to high schoolers talk on Skype for an hour and a half. But bad news, everyone. Huh. That is super annoying <laughs> to hear high schoolers talk on Skype. So they made them adults. I kind uh, of for- I kind of liked Unfriended. So now you're making me want to watch Dark Web because I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued. Yeah. So they made it adults getting together for like a old college friends that uh, were getting together for the first time. They like have a weekly Skype game that they play to try to stay in touch as they, uh, as they, you know, separated geographically and all that kind of stuff and being oh. hang on person. So that was a big, like that fixed my biggest problem. And then instead of like uh, a generic ghost problem, they take it into a whole different level and it is fantastic. So if you skip that one, that's why I wanted to call attention to those, but some really, really good horror movies. And I'm not even mentioning stuff like the quiet place, which also didn't make my list, but those are some that I wanted to underline and draw some attention to through the charm of the special Menchi. And then, um, the other one I want to call it is completely unrelated to horror. Uh, unless you count misogyny as horror, which I would, but, uh, damsel, the Western with uh, Robert Pattinson and um, – shoot, why am I forgetting your name? Uh, Robert well, – the Western with Robert Pattinson and Mia Wasikowska. Was, was, Wasikowska. I knew that was going to be might, Yeah, I'm pretty sure the A at the end is pronounced as an A. But so, you know, Polish names never get, get a little wild. Uh, by the Zellner brothers um, who have done nothing else that I'm aware of, but that's who did it. It is a fantastic Western with a great uh, middle uh, – like midpoint switch in perspective that is uh wonderful so if you've not seen damsel i cannot uh underline enough but my favorite parts about it would reveal uh way too much about the movie so i will leave it there cool all righty uh joseph what are your special menchies okay i limited myself to five because i have control (laughs) Uh, not in editing i want to mention uh I want to mention Destination Wedding, a reunion of Keanu Reeves and uh, Winona Ryder, which is a delightfully acidic black comedy, uh, romantic comedy. I think it's delightful. It kind of went straight to VOD and streaming. It's really worth your time. Uh, The Nazi zombie movie, uh, Overlord, has a really good performance by Wyatt Russell, who just keeps popping up in really interesting places. <laughs> he, he like, uh, he's pull- If he, I don't know if he has connections or he's just, like, a really, like, cool dude in interviews, but he's just been in, like, mo- Sorry. Are you guys hearing that? I heard, like, a tingle, yeah. A squ- like a jingle jangle? Never mind. Anyways. Uh, I heard uh, something, too, yeah, but Why Russell, I think, uh, I, I, I don't know. Is this Unfriended 3? But he, he basically, <laughs> like... Uh, yeah, this is Unfriended 3. You guys are in Unfriended 3. Don't put your hand in that blender. Um, <laughs> that would be the natural evolution, people recording a podcast on Skype. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, White Russell, he he signed some sort of some sort of deal with somebody because he's in all of, like the most interesting places to be. Like he got to work with like Link later. Um he got to be in a cool like World War II horror movie. He got to be on uh, Black Mirror. Like what where, where, who's this guy's agent? He's just like making him 
appear as cool. Like, he's not trying to get him I to mean, be, like, fucking uh, the next Captain America. He's trying to get him to be as, like, the next great character actor. Look, I'm sure, I, I know it's not nepotism. I think he's a, a pretty good actor. It doesn't hurt when your parents are, are Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Absolutely not. And also, like, he, he plays a similar sort of character a lot of times, and I'm curious if he's just, like, the most charming motherfucker in the room. Right. And uh, let's note that he was in my worst movie of uh, 2017. He's in Table 14. <sighs> you know, Joseph, not you mentioned that, that movie last year, and uh, we didn't, uh, we di- I didn't watch it, so. Good. You're, <laughs> you're, you don't have a problem with that. I put it on my list so of movies my... not to watch, and I accomplished that. It was already uh, on my list of movies I'd never heard of, so stayed there. My third movie is uh, Florida Dirtbags and Never Going Back, which is really worth your time to check out. Uh, it's, I think it might be on like Amazon Prime or something. Two uh, teenage friends who are basically Florida Dirtbags, Arizona Dirtbags. I don't quite remember which one. Uh, if you're if you're if you're a fan of The Good Place, they are Sh- Eleanor Shellstrop in teenage form, and they're kind of delightful. It's really worth checking out. Uh, number f- my next one is Mom and Dad, Nicolas Cage and yeah. Summer Blair going through a midlife crisis, so good. Yep. but also, you know, trying to kill their kids. <laughs> that movie is deeper than it got credit for. Yeah, it's I got lo- some I love weird midlife crisis stuff going on in that. That's a weird, this is a weird year I feel like we're like, in st- the, the, my top 50 could probably be in my top 15. And then yes. after that, it's like there's no shot. It's not that thing where it's like a trail. It's either just 50 amazing movies followed by like 50 movies that would never make a top 15 list. And it's just bizarre. Like most it's a years. Weirdly, s- it's a weirdly solid year. I'm looking at my list on Letterboxd. I'm like, God damn, there is some good stuff this year. Jeez. Yeah. yeah 2018 uh, is, uh, was a brutal year for choosing this list. Right. Like at some point I had just be like, fuck it. This is where it's falling. Yeah. Yeah. And my final uh, special menchie, you're welcome, uh, is Kira Knightley in Colette, which I think is a really interesting 19th century movie. Uh, well, God, 19th century through the 20th movie about Colette. Probably Colette was the character that she wrote. It's a really, really good. L- it's kind of a little movie, but it's kind of a big movie about one of the first great. Uh, prominent uh, French woman novelist. It's really worth your time. Uh, Kira Knightley's great in it. Awesome. Yeah, that was on my list to watch. I didn't get around to, but uh, I know a lot of people love it, and still one of these days, hopefully I'll I'll circle back. Uh, did you have one more special menchie? All right, Petey. Hi. So, uh, my... Petey special, does that work? Petey special menchie? Is that... Special menchies. Um, P- so... Pichy species menchies. No. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, so the ones that I really want to call out that I think won't get noticed, because stuff like Mission Impossible Fallout didn't make my list, or Ballad of and Ballad of Buster Scruggs didn't get my list, but like they're getting their notice, they're getting their due. Same thing with Black Panther. Um, the one that I really want to call out is The Night Comes for Us. Yeah, um, I was, I, I was, I was, but uh, I was sad I missed that one. I heard a lot of good things. The night comes for us is uh, from partially from the team that brought us the raid, uh, the raid movies, and the night comes for us is uh, in this uh, new category of action movies, which makes you wonder why anybody makes action movies, but like 
like Indonesia or or Japan or Korea. Like it's one of those movies that just has such a raw intensity and such a raw power that it overpowers your ability to give a shit about whether or not the plot makes sense or whether or not this characterization makes sense. You're just seeing things on screen that you've just never seen before. They're, they're, they're stretching human athleticism to its limits. Um, I, I, lo- I love that shit so much. And then um, the, uh, the Endless is my, uh, my other one, which uh, is uh, not going to surprise anyone here, The Endless Rules. Uh, those are some we wanted to call some attention to, but now on to the actual list. We'll start with our Ani Menchies, also known as our 15 through 11. Uh, so my number 15 is Widows, the Steve McQueen follow-up, a long-delayed follow-up to uh, 12 Years a Slave. Uh, nice. 12 Years a Slave was my favorite movie of that year uh, that came out. I think I saw it three times showing it to people and then haven't seen it since in 2013. So, uh, but yeah, that I was just, and that was the first Steve McQueen movie I had seen. I then went back and watched um, Shame and Hunger, uh, but like he just has this like visceral raw angry energy he uses to direct his movies and uh it just it even even a movie as um with with heavy sh- subject matter like all of his other movies are just filled with this almost like action type intensity that you wouldn't expect from the subject matter. And so having him direct what's uh, at least at first appears to be a more straightforward action heist film was super appealing to me to begin with. And the movie really lives up to that, but it still has some things to say about uh, police violence and uh, misogyny and a lot of other things as well. So if you haven't seen widows, it is, it is really, really good, and the 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 main cast of Viola Davis and Michelle Rodriguez and Elizabeth Debicki are just they're so good. Uh, Ki- uh, Cynthia, and then Cynthia Rivo walks in and just takes over part. of Oh the yeah, she's so good. She, she she's not she shows up. You're right, like the last third. Uh, but God, she's takes so, over is the right word yeah that movie is just an expertly crafted movie right like it, it's just like yes. it, it's the best possible version of of it looked like a dumb little heist thriller and it was like no actually this might be better than heat probably is better than heat <laughs> all right yeah okay cool got it yeah uh my number 14 is teen titans go to the movies i've never seen an episode of teen titans go um i didn't know what to expect it was 70 minutes and i thought my daughter would like it she did. I think I liked it way more. Uh, it is maybe one of the best superhero movies I've seen. It is definitely the funniest parody of superhero movies I've seen. Uh, it just gets everything right about like the current trends and mocking them while still being like a pretty compelling movie on its own with a great Michael Bolton musical break in there. Uh, it is like, and it's seventy minutes. Like again, this this is like this year's Power Rangers for me. Something that I had zero familiarity with the source material. Like I didn't have negative things to say about Teen Titans Go. It just felt like it wasn't for me. It felt like like the the Adult Swim show you get into before you become an adult. And I still need to go back and watch some of the show because uh, I've I've told it has the same level of uh, energy that this movie has. But yeah, this movie's fucking great. And again. Came out of nowhere for me. Um, I had never watched this particular version before. I was a huge fan of the Teen Titans, the previous animated series. Yeah. And watching this movie, I'm like, oh, this is the same people just working in a different genre, essentially. 
It's freaking hilarious. It's really, really good. Uh, number 13 is a recent one I caught up on for this. Uh, it's Burning. Uh, Burning. Yes, which Yay. is uh, the Lee Chang Dong uh, mystery. It, it kind of feels like a, a little bit like I got Gone Girl vibes from it. Um, mainly because there's a girl that disappears partway through the movie. Uh, but, uh, God, it is. Uh, and I've actually seen Joseph's... Um, thoughts on the movie and like what it means at the end and i think uh this i don't want to spoil anything but uh it really has a few different interpretations you can take it whether whether uh one of the characters that you've known the whole movie turns out to be uh someone unexpected or whether a lot of it is like the delusions of uh of a different character uh, but ultimately, it's really about, like, toxic masculinity and through the prism of someone who is, like, a classic, like, incel-type character. Uh, but it is, you know, I, I'm i not a huge fan all the time of long movies. I felt like this one needed all two hours and 45 minutes to get the effect because it really does have a split halfway through, leaves you with something different, and... Yeah, really happy I caught up on this one. This movie. Yeah, was. this is uh, yeah. this is something that, uh, as someone who's a big fan of Korean thrillers and Korean murder thrillers in particular, uh, and Korean revenge thrillers and that whole genre, um, this is a interesting sort of reaction to it. In the same way that Under the Skin is a reaction to species and other sexy aliens, murder men movies. Um, you know, it's sort of. It's sort of a, a high class reaction to uh, a very low genre, and um, even though like I I fucking love like I saw the devil and such. I was thinking about the movie the other day, um, but it's it's essentially it's essentially filtering one of those movies through the abstraction lens of reality, and through it, it through the in reality, um, true objective truth is so hard to come by. The fact that as the movie approaches its final moments, you still don't know exactly what happened because our protagonist doesn't know exactly what happened. Yeah. It's such a potent power um, that I think few movies have because mm -hmm. movies are so much about like, we're going to give you a bunch of truths and then you have to emotionally react to them. This yep. movie instead is saying, we're going to filter this through that lens of reality and, uh, yeah, how do you feel about this the way you feel about most of your life, which most of your life is just this sort of, like, game of trust. You're like, well, I trust this person more than this person, so I guess that person's right. truth is true. Um, that's, why I love, yeah. that's why I love the movie. And it also really presents, like, almost like the opposite ends of a, uh, the spectrum for toxic masculinity, right? Like, there's mm -hmm. the there's the character who is the, I have a new girl every couple weeks, and I kind of use them till I get bored with them, or, like, I'm not really invested in their emotions. And But he's, like, know. gentle and sweet. He's not, like, violent or abusive no, but outwardly. Yeah. But, like, literally keeps trophies, or potentially keeps trophies, even if even if he's not the bad thing. Like, you know, he definitely is that, like... Because the thing the thing about it is is like it's one thing if it that's a mutual arrangement in the example that we see it doesn't feel very mutual yeah exactly uh, so uh, and then the opposite end of the spectrum which is the uh, uh, 
I I'm an I'm a quote unquote nice guy who you owe me your love back. And any affection directed at anyone else makes you like impure or as one character calls the other character in this movie a whore. So uh it oh, really also, is they like, don't make the woman a fringed woman. She's so fucking no. fascinating, and even when she's gone, her shadow is cast over the rest of the movie. Yeah. So number twelve, a movie that Joseph mentioned that he didn't see but heard some people like it, and I'm one of those people. Love Simon. Essentially, uh, John Hughes version, except uh, of of high school love, uh, unrequited high school love, or except with um, with a gay character at the center. At the end of the day, like the it's so just like the perfect type of that movie. Like it's better. It doesn't have a lot of the problems like John Hughes movies. It's just a really good high school romance. And at the end, like when you know spoiler alert for every high school romance movie basically like it works out after all these challenges and hurts to friend groups and family and all this stuff like you're just left there like with a couple tears streaming down your your face and ready to cheer it is destined to be one of those movies for me like 10 things i hate about you or the wedding singer or just a movie like when i want to watch a movie over and over again that i don't need to engage too much in but want to feel good emotions at the end and laugh a few times this is going to be one of those movies. So, And then number 11 is a movie that uh, most people in 2018 have heard of called Black Panther, uh, which actually, fun fact, and this is true of all Marvel movies, and I hate saying it uh, in front of Peter because it kind of proves a longstanding uh, argument that Peter has with me. Uh, this was my number three of the year until I rewatched it. Um, and then I, I still really love it. But the thing about Marvel movies is they don't tend to hold up as well on rewatch. Uh, this didn't go to like civil war for me, which felt like a, like became, took a five-star movie and kind of became a little bit of a slog. Uh, I still really, really love this. The leads are fantastic. It's so kinetically directed, but it's because Marvel is better at origin stories than the, usually the like big team up ones. Marvel's better at the singular, like we're telling you one story, uh, thing than like the team ups. I'm telling you, man. Well, and also I think the analogy too that uh, is that Marvel is really good at producing roller coaster rides movies where like the first time you're on a roller coaster, you're just like surprised by every twist and turn and screaming and delight or terror, stuff like that. And then as you go on the roller coaster a few more times, you're like, I get it. Yep. Here comes this turn. Here comes that turn. Uh, I don't think Black Panther falls under that. It's more of like if I went on the roller coaster a hundred times, I would need something different. It wasn't as, you know, some movies upon rewatch become like this thing that grows and deepens. And unfortunately, I think with like with all Marvel movies, Black Panther suffered from that a little bit. But still a fantastic movie. Not quite the best superhero movie of the year for me. Pretty close. Yeah, I I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. It's between, uh, of all things, Cam and Quiet Place. What a weird <laughs> placement. Uh, well, here's, you know, it's, this is 100% true. So Cam is 35 on my list and Quiet Place is 37. In between is Avengers Infinity War. So apparently the perfect place <laughs> for Marvel movies is between Cam and <laughs> Quiet Place. Um, oh, that's funny. Joseph, what are your Ani Menchies? Okay, first off. First off um, for what? Oh, first off for Ani Menchies. I hate you so yes. much. Yes. Uh, Fuck. We did it, Peter. Podcast over. <laughs> All right. My first off is Paul Schrader's First Reformed, oh, a, movie a movie that befuddled me the first time I watched it. I'm like, 
is this the worst film of the year? Is it the best film of the year? And I'm like, it's not quite either, but I really, really like what's happening with Ethan Hawke and uh, Amanda Seyfried in it. It's it's a really interesting movie about somebody going through a crisis of faith, and I'm kind of fascinated with those. I'm atheist. I don't have a crisis of faith, but I'm really fascinated by somebody who is going through that. I think it's a really interesting movie. I particularly like that Cedric, the entertainer of all people, is a really interesting he's really, he's megachurch really preacher in it. Yeah. It's a good performance, and it's it's a movie that's very much worth checking out. Yeah, it didn't make my uh, top 15, uh, and I, I watched it upon catch-up, so I don't quite know where it placed because I just knew it wasn't in the top 15. But uh, I, I was super fascinated, and like, even though as, as someone who doesn't believe in God either um, – I I didn't all that wasn't always true. So I definitely went through a crisis of faith, and I constantly feel that crisis of someone's got to fucking do something about uh, global warming, and like that feeling of just um, everything turning bad uh, further and further down a rabbit hole. So I like I definitely empathized a lot with Ethan Hawke's character, and I also like you know this is kind of compared to like because Paul Schrader, right? Like it's like it's it's a it's kind of a religious global warming version of Taxi Driver, yeah. But like Taxi Driver, he wasn't as sympathetic of a character, right? Like he was right. a little bit, but like at the end of the day, I wasn't like, oh, maybe it was right that he did all those things, like. In some ways, and this one, I was like, "Yeah, maybe he should have blown up." Ever like, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I feel a little bit more conflicted with the dramatic steps he was going to take because there is a part of me that goes, "Yeah, we do. We like the whole world and humanity might perish if we don't do something." So, yeah, I don't know if that's the right move, but holy shit, we got to do something. So, yeah, yeah, and you know what? I think I think uh, Schrader is saying, you know what? You should be conflicted about what yeah. he's doing here. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really interesting movie that's worth checking out. Uh, and Ethan Hawke, over these last uh, five, ten years, has been doing some really odd, interesting work. Yeah. I uh, I have it way, way, way higher on my uh, list, so I'll save some Alrighty. thoughts there. But, like, uh, Joseph, as someone who is uh, also a non-practicing Catholic, uh, to use the softest terminology, um, <laughs> I, I feel like this is a movie that... I reacted to in a way that I didn't expect to. I was like, I've seen enough movies about like uh, the Catholic church being this like big, ugly organization. Like I've accepted that as part of my being. I, I grew up during the, the um, pedophilia, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? Like, you want to say controversy, but that's such a soft word. I grew up during the the pedophilia explosion, let's say, um, when everything more like sort of uh, came expo- out came to surface. Exposure, yeah, exposure because it had been going on for decades. Yeah, um, when all of yes. a sudden you realized it was everywhere, like everything was surfacing. And this movie is not about pedophilia. That's not to say, it. but I mean, like the idea that um, I my my doubt in the church and whether or not it could be a source of sustenance in my spiritual life uh, came very early. And uh, this movie is just very interesting when you watch it with people with a religious background uh, versus not a religious background because they just have a very different reaction to what this guy's up to. Because I viewed him in in, in the form where I was like, I remember looking at priests and being like, that's 
I feel so bad the Catholic priest and being like I feel bad for that lonely that lonely old guy like he doesn't have a wife he doesn't have a like much of a family anymore because he had to go off to another diocese like he's just <laughs> it's just him and God and the church right like uh, right though, though of course in Protestant churches it's much different because they're basically hired yes. it isn't you know you get assigned back and forth yes yes but the this idea that priests are sort of um in any in any you know sort of a religion where there's a priest class uh they're sort of locked into this uh role this position um right and for their life I, I always would look at them and just feel like a sense of like loneliness and uh yeah that, that this movie rattled me i think from that perspective because it was tapping into those feelings of watching them from the pews yes uh, so moving on to my uh, number 14, uh, this may be on uh, either of your top 10, but I'm uh, pretty sure probably not. My number 14 is Revenge. This is a French debut that just really drilled into me. It's like, oh my God, how do you make a movie that is about a woman who has been brought to this hunting camp, essentially, and is sexually assaulted, then killed, left for dead, but then it turns into this, well, entertaining is kind of the wrong word because it makes it sound like this is a freak show. But this is a woman who goes back and gets revenge on all these guys who have essentially left her for dead. But it's really good, has a point, yeah. and has a fantastic lead performance. It's a great, great movie and a great debut. Yeah, it was a special entry for me. And it was, it was kind of described to me as like, oh, what if a woman directed I Spit on Your Grave? And I was like... Well, that's still not, like, it's still I spit on your grave. That doesn't sound very appealing to me. Turns out it's super appealing. <laughs> it's very yep. good. Yeah. So I I, uh, I I don't have this on my list. I was very, very much into it. But uh, the one thing I'll note about that is one, my favorite choice in the whole movie is actually to make the lead character so interesting, so vibrant, and so sexually liberated. And then the act happens because mm-hmm. so many of these movies are about... Um, uh, virginal, clean women, so to speak, clean women um, being violated. Uh, I spit in your grave, which is a movie I, I very much like. Uh, Miss Forty Five, yada yada, uh, being violated. And this movie is about like a woman who's like out in the world. She's she's doing her own thing. She's living the life she's supposed to live, and then she's violated by the worst people on the planet. And the reason it makes it interesting to me is because, like, I think it's an, an important part of the discussion now in 2019 when so many people are still having the discussion of she was asking for it. Um, and that this movie very boldly steps forward and says, no one's fucking asking for it! <laughs> yep. No one's asking for it! Like The single worst person in this movie, I submit, is the guy who walks into her being violated and just closes the door. Oh, yeah. I think he's tied with a lot of people. Well, <laughs> yes, but for some reason, that yeah, guy... Yeah, that is especially, like... But that's that's the whole point. Like it's 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 yes. there are monsters in the world, but the fact that like other men let them be monsters because they don't yeah. want to confront other men is how is part of the problem. Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thir- it's a fantastic movie, super vibrant, super colorful, amazing soundtrack. It is not a fucking drag mm-hmm. at all. Great movie. Nope, and beautifully shot. Now moving on to my number thirteen. Now I this week actually tried to rewatch Marielle Heller's previous film. The Diary of a Teenage Girl, which is why I was kind of surprised that Can You Ever Forgive Me ended up in my uh, special menchies. You mean your Ani uh, menchies? Pardon me, my, my Ani menchies. Can You Ever Forgive Me is a brilliant movie. 
Uh, Melissa McCarthy is the actress who I have really liked over the last few years. She is great in things like The Nines. Uh, I really like her in other stuff as well. This movie, her and Richard Grant, they are great together. This movie is a fantastic piece of 90s literary forgery and a couple of people just trying to make a buck. It's it's really, really freaking good. Uh, my next one might be something that you guys have in your top 10. Uh, sorry to bother you. I'll save my thoughts. Uh, yeah, I don't, right. I don't have it in my top 10. I think this is a really interesting piece of uh, talking about capitalism work. It's fascinating to me. I, I honestly saw it about uh, three months ago, and I'm like, okay, this movie's moving along, and then it t- takes a turn, and I'm like, whoa, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> that movie's fucking nuts, and I almost don't want to talk more about it because I want people... It didn't get seen by that many people, so I think more people should see it. That's all I kind of want to say. Yeah. It, the movie, I'll, I'll, the movie didn't work for me at all, and I know I'm like a weird minority on this, but I'll be a weird, you know, minority opinion on a lot of shit in the next uh, next <laughs> fifteen entries. So um, that's fine. But uh, I do admire its sense of fucking like shock, like propulsion and shock. Like we are going to be moving forward with or without you. Um, that is really a really admirable part of the movie. Yeah. So my final one is number eleven. That is uh, Hereditary, which I think is a. I very will save well my thoughts. <laughs> save my thoughts, Joseph. Oh, uh, I think it's a very well done horror movie. I don't care what people think that whether or not it's a horror movie, it is a horror movie, yeah. and it's a quartet of very effective actors, and it has one of the most sickening moments I've seen in movies in the last ten years. Yeah, well, yeah. I, uh, just to touch on the not a horror movie thing, um, what the who fuck said you that? In your life, if you don't think yeah. it's a horror movie, yeah, seriously. I also feel like Peter's. Right. Joseph, are you erecting straw men? Because I haven't heard that particular argument. But I have. I have oh, before. There are. Uh, Ari Aster literally yeah. says on one of his podcasts, he's like, people keep telling me it's not a horror movie, and I'm pretty sure it's just people that don't like horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, I think we're on to you for your Ani Menchies. Yeah, number 15, Burning. I think I said my thoughts uh, pretty well earlier. Uh, yeah, it's... it's I'd, say, uh, I'd say pretty well. Yeah, it's a... Not great. It's a, I think we we did that. Uh, number fourteen, <laughs> Halloween. Um, Halloween is a nice spear. It's a sequel dash reboot sequel reboot cool. Um, it uh it really resets the timeline for in a in a spiritual sense for a new audience. Um, and it really can helps um bring on new fans to the series while also um, ditching a lot of the the weight and heft of what the series had become the 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 um let's say not say weight and heft let's say luggage let's say it dip it got rid of the the crap the flotsam that the series had had kind of dragged along with it and just got back to what halloween is really fantastic at and that's um lean minimalism in in terms of shots it's it's about character interactions it's not about the goriest shit you've ever seen um but it also does kind of update things for a modern audience who's expecting like the shocks the plot twists and all that um i i can't really have imagined a better um you know 40 year sequel or whatever (laughs) um to this one so uh yeah all on board uh 13 eighth grade 
Um, a lot of amazing things have been said about this movie, but the one thing that I want to call out is the score by Anna Meredith. Um, the score is incredible. It's one of the scores you can listen to separate from the film. Um, and it has its own sense of power. And uh, that's completely ignoring. Is this on your guys' list? Uh, yeah, I'll save my thoughts. Yeah. You guys save, will, you guys will talk about the amazing performances and the fact that Bo Burnham is such a competent filmmaker and the fact that he gave these actors such room to improvise their dialogue while also holding them to the ideas of the, this this scene you would needs to accomplish this idea let's get there however we can um bo burnham really captured i think in a in a most realistic grim gritty way but also like fun and exciting way what it's like to be an adolescent where your whole world is just this overstimulus of hormones and music and sounds and uh influential tugs coming at you um insanely great movie uh the favorite uh is uh <laughs> i think i think it's a movie that clicked with me better than any Wait, of is that your 12 that's my number 12 uh the favorite has clicked with me in a way that these movies do not his movies don't typically connect with me which is that they're did you see dog tooth uh i haven't seen dog tooth Okay, that's the best one. But, but I love, I, I love. Have never, I have never, I've never seen Dog Tooth either. It's the best one. I love the lobster. I really, really liked Killing of a Sacred Deer. But the favorite, for some reason, something about it just, I felt like I was having fun with the filmmaker, which I had not had in his previous films. So that's why it's so much higher because I felt like um, him and I were both laughing at some of the machinations and the insanity going around on in this royal court. Um, and the performances are, yeah, they're, they're all insane and, and, uh, playful, but also really like damaging and, and acidic. Like, yeah, they'll catch you off guard by how emotionally connected you are with the characters while also you like loathe almost all of them. Uh, and then number 11 is the Suspiria remake, which is, I think movie. my my first movie oh. that's going to be like pretty divisive on my list. Um, yeah, uh, Suspiria is number seventeen on my list, so not that divisive from my perspective. Yeah. Uh, it's number it's number forty on my list behind Teen Titans Go. Yeah, oh, a- so so Joseph's list is just has a, a bunch of problems. <laughs> 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 I love I love I love 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 loves this movie. I'm not ashamed of it. I listen to the Tom York score probably once. I do a month too. Since like I've seen it. A couple songs from that are still just on my everyday playlist. It's like, oh, it's been a year and a half. But yeah, I'll still listen to this. Yeah, I really, really love how the movie decided to chase the themes and spirit of the film in its own direction rather than trying to one-up Dario Argento as like a visual stylist. Um, I, I feel like that's a... It's a fucking dead end uh, to try and like recapture what Dario Argento did here. Um, the original movie is maybe the... Next to, like, The Shining is, like, one of the most visually alluring uh, horror films of all time. Uh, and what they did here this time is they went for a completely different approach. And the, the since the edit, this is such a fucking cliche, but, like, the editing cuts like a knife. And there's a scene in the movie that is a, a murder coalesced with a dance sequence that's maybe the greatest scene of the year. Uh, like I, I've not seen anything like it. I 
I was at home and I just kept replaying it like two or three times. So I was like, how the fuck did he do this? Like, how does the timing work out? How did he make this work? And uh, yeah, that's why I love Suspiria. And if you don't like it, you're wrong and bad. But yeah, everyone's yeah, entitled my, to their my, opinion. My, my only complaint about it is that the ending scene is so good, but it has one of the most like frustrating uses of CGI blood. Uh, uh, yes, seen, that's like, my only complaint too, is the CGI yeah. blood. What yeah. the fuck? That's certainly fair. I mean, I, I, I think it's very good. It's just, you know, kind of it's lost in the weeds of the 30s for me. Yeah, I had a very visceral emotional reaction to this movie where like I, I was like pretty sure I was going to hate it. Um, and then the within 15 minutes, I was like, oh, it's got me. It's got its yeah, hooks yeah, in it's me. Good. So before we go into our top 10 of the year, let's take a quick, quick detour into the pits with our most disliked movie of the year. We changed it from worst because I think it's okay to highlight the movie that made us the most frustrated or angry or uh, we have the most to say. Like, I, I, yeah, Pacific Rim Uprising is bad, but I don't have, like, it's just a bad movie. Someone made a bad movie. Uh, but the one I, like, actually physically got angry with this year upon watching it was a little movie by what used to be my probably one of my favorite comedy directors uh called vice vice is so fucking bad and i really like like i know there's a lot of differing opinions on the big short i really like the big short i think it's good i think it's the perfect like comedy angry comedy that is also like trying to explain a very complicated issue through all these like quick cuts i mean he Adam McKay threw everything at the screen, and I I like maximalism in general, and I thought it really worked for the big short. So when I started hearing complaints about Vice, I was kind of like, oh, I was expecting that same level of, like, people turning to the cameras and people explaining shit and, like, an, uh, an energy to it. And instead, I got, like, subdued and boring and, like, one minor scene of someone turning to the camera at the end. And it kind of gives too much sympathy to Dick Cheney, even though I'm sure Adam McKay doesn't think that. But, like, it's a compelling performance and it doesn't have any of the venom that I felt like the big short had or even, like, the ending credits of the other guys. Uh, It's bizarre. Like, I was really anticipating for – I know it's divisive for me to land on the positive, but it's like – I don't know if it's just like making a movie about the Bush administration sucks the life out of filmmakers because it's kind of has the same issues as W by Oliver Stone. Like I was so pumped for a Nixon JFK style. Like here's here's Oliver Stone at what he does best, like being fucking angry, throwing a bunch of shit at the screen and in a and in a long way. Instead, it was like a run-of-the-mill boring biopic that had like a couple of points to make. And I felt like Dick was the same thing. Like, I don't know. It I just it's what angers me the most is that that Adam McKay in the big short mode, I think, would have made a really good movie. But I don't know if it's just his anger had been sucked up because it had been so long. But God, is it just a piece of shit? And like one that has a, had a lot of potential, I think. We were so used to Trump sucking, it's good to to, to remind everyone uh, how, how fucking bad it's been for a while with those bozos. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see it because the idea of, um, even though I, I still am very much on a Christian Bale train, uh, the idea of... Oh, good for you! <laughs> the idea of watching that movie was uh, too much, too much for me. I was just like... Did you like the big short? 
Uh, I was okay with it. There's there's some weird. This is gonna sound really bad, but there's some weird like misconceptions it has about how the financial crisis went down that are just like it points the finger in the wrong direction. It's a movie very much about like what happened in the financial crisis, and I'm like, and I'm not saying, yeah, but like I I. I guess I don't mind it when it's it's kind of like JFK, right? Like nothing in JFK happened, but it's still fucking. I if I had viewed it as JFK, I probably would have had a, a like a killer time. And it's not JFK level. Like they're they're no. like eighty percent of the way there. Like they just needed to go a little bit further. Yeah, he didn't. Um, he didn't go after Clinton enough. True. I I think the big short having stuff wrong worked for me, and because that stuff right, but it was like this massive thing to untangle that more people were finding out stuff. So it, like. In the same way that JFK is a, even though Oliver Stone probably does believe all that stuff, Oliver, uh, JFK is less about what happened at the assassination, at least from my perspective, and more just like about the nature of conspiracy theories related to JFK. Yeah. So, like the big short of like how difficult it is to untangle what the fuck happened, that that from that lens, it worked for me, and it had that same energy and anger. But Ch- Dick did not. Speaking of what might have happened, uh, my least liked of the year. Life itself. <laughs> I think you, your that option is on uh, most people's like least favorite of the year. That like, came out in 2013, but uh, and I really like Roger Ebert, <laughs> so I take it personally. <laughs> this movie, my God, there's at least two people being hit by buses just by walking into traffic and not looking behind them. This movie sucks. Well, I uh, life itself is precious. You got to watch out for buses. <laughs> This movie is... Okay, last year, uh, there were two years ago, I talked about uh, Table 14 being one of the worst movies of the year and wasting good actors. This movie wastes Oscar Isaac, Mandy Patinkin, uh, Antonio Banderas, Olivia Wilde, Olivia Cook, and Nat Benning. What the fuck is this movie? I think part of it is that you keep going and seeing bad movies that people don't like. Well, this is probably true, but, but this movie is awful. But Olivia it's, Wilde, like, like, what got greater crime than to waste Olivia Wilde? Like, like she's she's got to come back. She she needs her chance. She made Booksmart. Oh yeah, she did make Booksmart. Yes, yeah, but she's she back. That's right again. She needs to do both. No, keep she, making Booksmarts. Street she can keep making books. Book whatever she wants to do. Whatever she wants to do. All I'm saying is that I need more Olivia Wilde in my life, and she doesn't need to be squandered by this fucking uh, ABC soap opera douchebag. Yeah, back to yeah. good things like the Flatliners remake. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't in that. She was in the other one, right? Like the Lazarus effect. Peter, what did you hate? So uh, Cloverfield Paradox. Um, Ooh, I so like it's it's my most disliked because of the amount of possibility in it. It has a fantastic cast. The cast is amazing, uh, and it was de- it was debuted in maybe the best, maybe the best fashion any movie could ever be debuted. Which is yeah, I, I watched it that night. I I watched it that night too, right after the Super Bowl. So they debuted it right after the Super Bowl. This is something that I don't think people talk about how crazy this is. In the middle of the Super Bowl, they were just like, hey, we're dropping a movie on Netflix tonight. Which they didn't they didn't say for free, but in our brains we were all like, oh, we're used to seeing all these movies that are coming out in two months, in three months. This this ad was like, hey, Netflix, you can watch this movie right now. And then everybody hated the movie. Um, but it's it's one of those movies that like 
It's so nestled into my interests. It's a sci-fi horror movie. It's got an amazing cast. It's it, it, it plums the depths of like, let's not say plums the depths. It, it plays around with deeper sci-fi concepts and makes them scary, right? Like it finds a way to make uh, the idea of the impermanence of a body in, as a solid object scary. Conceptually, it knocks it out of the park but like every plot beat is just this sloppy. You feel like every scene was written by a different chimpanzee at a different typewriter. You're just like every, oh, and then they had to, and then they had to jam it all fucking together. Like it, it, it's one of those things is just so disappointing because like they had all the pieces there. They had the budget. They had everything they needed to make an amazing movie. And like, yeah, you can say something like, oh well, uh, Transformers. King Arthur's castle, whatever the last Transformers movie was. Um, you could say that one, that all that money could have been chopped up into a million eighth grades, right? But with this, I'm like, wait, hold on. You could have used the same sets, same cast, same director. I don't give a shit. Like, you were so close. You just needed a good script and you could have nailed it. Like, it's even produced well. Like, the, the effects and the gags don't look shitty. They look actually really good. Like, that that's what makes certain movies like this so frustrating because it's just so, so close. So, actually, what's so funny is that I actually think that the producers of the movie had the same experience as you because the reason it's a Cloverfield movie is because they watched it and they went, what are we going to do with this piece of shit? Limitless possibilities. A great cast. What a terrible fucking movie. And so they kind of jammed it. It was called The God Particle. Yeah. And it wasn't supposed to be a Cloverfield movie. And it, it it was so bad that they added Cloverfield stuff to it to try to make it part of, like, the anthology. And, of course, it's following 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I think was on a couple of our best movies of the year. Yeah, that movie uh, That year. So, uh, so, I actually – I'm a little more generous to it because I thought it had enough goofy, dumb scenes. And uh, as dumb as this is, like, I liked – that it made no fucking sense, but there was a huge Cloverfield monster when they slammed out. Like, oh, cool, the Cloverfield monster. Love that guy. Um, if I had more, if I had more uh, goodwill for the movie left over, I would have been like, yeah, hell yeah. It's tied into another movie I like. Who cares? This is great. Yeah. Instead, um, but I, I, all my goodwill was gone, and I was like, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, so it definitely is not a very good movie. Um, but I feel like it, if so, if you had bad sex with somebody for a long time, and then at the end they're like, "Do you want to buy like my Mazda Miata?" and I'm like, "Not really." I mean, maybe if the sex had been good, I would be interested in buying a Mazda Miata. I'm not tracking the metaphor. I but feel I like the it. need to plumb this analogy a little bit further. Frankly, it makes it sound like you would appreciate someone selling you a, a Mazda Miata, but not after <laughs> sex. Uh, yes, that's what I'm saying. Like, ideally, people are selling me Mazda Miatas. I'm saying it's not a great product. I'm saying if you lead up to it with a good experience, I'm more conducive to it. If you lead up to it with a bad experience, I'm really just going to walk out the door. You're not going to sell that Miata. Look, I think we can all agree it's the best metaphor I'm ever. Miata here. <laughs> I'm Miata here. Oh, um, God. Well, I think with that, why don't we transition to not talking about Mazda Miatas uh, unless they show up in one of our 10 best movies of 2018. Are you guys ready to go through them? Uh, sorry, Aaron. I'm calling the... Uh, the- I'm calling a. I have to pee well, you on that uh, call transition. It, that's the whole transition. We say, are you guys ready? And then we take a break, Joe. Are you guys ready to start track? Uh, right. damn it. Are you feeling down? 
Like you just can't do it today I can see your frown But it's all gonna be okay So believe in yourself There's no giving up The power's inside Yeah, that's what's up If you're kicking the pants You need My number 10 favorite movie of 2018. So it's kind of rare that I have documentaries on my top 10 list. Occasionally ones break through stuff like Grizzly Man or Life Itself, because when there's a really good one, I feel like I'm going to watch it over and over and over again. And it's a weird year where on my top 10, there's two documentaries. Um, and it's not that I like I love documentaries. It is something that a lot of times when it's a genre I will specifically seek out because I do have a mood where I want to watch a documentary, but I feel sometimes like putting them on a best uh, best movie list, I'm really, when I'm focused on like narrative features, I don't always like parse the two and compare the two because it's tricky to do sometimes. Like it, the analogy I use is like when you're making your best album of the year list, you don't always put comedy albums or like books on tape on it just because those those two, even though they are albums, feel so different when uh, when you're trying to compare them. But this year has two really great ones that I am are going to be in that bucket where I watch over and over. And my number 10 is in that vein. It is Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary on uh, Mr. Rogers. First of all, Mr. Rogers rules. One of those things that I grew up with specifically and and watched and loved and feel like a lot of my personal like values I was taught besides like my parents and Sesame Street like came from Mr. Rogers. Like I, I took him as someone who... Uh, was someone to listen and pay attention to. And I feel like hopefully a lot of the lessons that I learned at a young age watching him have continued to resonate throughout my life. And um, But on top of that, like it coming out in 2018 and like watching someone who's trying to bring that much good into the world in the uh, context of 2018 was just an overwhelming movie for me. One that, like, there was, like, the last 20 minutes of that movie, I saw it in theaters. There was not a person in that theater that wasn't, like, audibly sniffling and crying. Um, and I think that would have probably been true if it came out in 2014 or 2012 or 2010 as well. But it just has so much extra resonance in 2018. It's also helped a little bit by the fact that, like, you 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 think about these things, and I've said this before on this podcast, where it's like, man, didn't everyone watch Mr. Rogers? Like, how did you grow up? being a bad person, say Republicans, for example. And this movie has some stuff at the end where Fox News, uh, Fox and Friends specifically, is decrying Mr. Rogers and his message that everyone is special. Because some people don't work hard enough to be special. And isn't that a bad message to tell your kids? And stuff like that. And it was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, (laughs) uh, I guess some people really do see this, like, amazing person literally just trying to instill, like, even though I was not a Christian, like, like 
in theory, good humanist, Christian, whatever you want to call them, values to kids and being like, what a piece of shit. So anyways, yeah, this is a fantastic movie. It is it is definitely going to be in my rotation for any time. I want to feel both heartwarmed and sad. Yeah, I have this also in my top 10. And uh, I think you summed up pretty well why it uh, it got to me. Um, I've, I've broken through in the past couple years and have now become a movie crier. Uh, this movie made me weep a lot. And I know that's <laughs> not a good measure whether or not a movie is good. Um, <laughs> sometimes a movie can is not be. that great, I think, but you just I think it. feeling things for a movie is a good is yeah. a good thing. But I'm saying, I'm saying like, just because yes. a movie made you cry doesn't mean it's a good movie. Um, just, just the same way that like, just because a movie made you laugh doesn't mean it's a good comedy. The primary emotion I felt when I was watching this movie was hope for the universe. Yeah, because it keeps touching back onto what was going on in history at this point and this point and this point. And he's basically saying like, well, at night they're going to end up catching snippets of news and watching dead kids come home in body bags from Vietnam. And they're going to be hearing about crack being synthesized and uh, they're going to be hearing about or they're going to be seeing a lot of violence in their everyday life. And um, I want to be a source of comfort for all of these kids and I want to help. And like that sort of approach to the universe where you're, where you're recognizing how bad everything is and you're still saying, well, without hope, where the fuck are we? Is like that that is my secular humanism. That is yeah. that's the that's how I live my life. Without that, I would have crumbled in 2016. So, well, and there's just so much I didn't know. Like his first fucking episode has King Friday put up a wall to keep immigrants out in the land of make believe, and you have one of the like the people being like, "Here's why we should not do that." That's the first episode of fucking Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and it's like a episode that we should show half of this country right now. Uh yeah. it's and, it's and they'd be like, "This is too politically charged." Yeah, how dare you? This is this is worse than when you had the oil man in the Muppets. About that. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, Joseph, what is your number ten? Okay, my number ten ties in right into Mister Rogers because it is a movie about being the best that you can be, and it is a fabulous piece of animated work. And I love how this is about Spider Man, who is my favorite comic book character, and it's about the humanism of a good Spider-Man character. Like, he wants to be the best that he can be, but he also has to deal with, you know, family and whatnot. I, I think it's a fantastic movie. It's it's it's, it's brilliantly animated. It's, it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, I love it. I'll be talking more about it later. Number 10. Uh, this one is, I think, I think I'm the only person I know that, like, loves this movie, and it's Hold the Dark. Oh, I didn't Sony see movie. it. Oh, I forgot about it. Yeah, it's uh, the the uh, the joke director about Green it Room. on set How was it's it? called yeah. Snow Country for Old Men um, <laughs> because I think Jeremy Saulnier found a way to adapt the uh, the nihilism of Cormac McCarthy, and it's not actually a Cormac McCarthy adaptation, but it found a way to adapt the nihilism of Cormac McCarthy and the sort of uh, natural nihilism. Um, into something that just gave me a gut punch uh, every 15 minutes just when I was I was in the perspective of a man in a violent world that's living in the everybody in this movie is living in the the remains the ashes of some sort of violent act um 
it, it, it essentially posits a world that is nothing but cycles of violence. And uh, whether or not we're, we can escape the violence is seems like almost like a, a moot point. Um, because every character in the movie at some point is is involved in the violence. And there are moments that you can escape from it that are comforting. But uh, yeah, I, I just, yes, it's a depressing, grim, incredibly violent movie. But uh, it, it matches perfectly my interest, which is uh, a genre Depression. movie. Violence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Movies. Depressing shit that helps me just feel more, you know, in the world. Um, no, it... it, it perfectly matches uh my interest which is um a high a high art take on something that's very um very much genre material like it's very much about just like we gotta find this crazy killer but like when you watch the movie it doesn't feel like that's what it's about um so yeah my my favorite movies are always like genre concepts but approached with like a sense of of um of the universe in a sense of beauty and a sense of grandeur and i think this movie has it uh my number nine is a movie we already talked about the favorite uh yorgos lathamos uh he is someone who i've been a big booster of since i saw dog tooth uh when it whenever it was released here i think in like 2010 um and then alps the next year in 2011 so i even before the lobster came out i was like really dog tooth is on my like in my top 50 favorite movies of all time it is this you know, both depressing and insightful and clever and like, but it is just such a unique way to approach material. I think the lobster was on my list when we did this a couple years ago and killing of a sacred deer was not, I actually really don't like that movie. And I felt, and I, I started to get worried that like the strangeness of the lobster, which had a purpose that, uh, Outside of that, he wasn't going to be able to direct English language films because there was something that was getting missing when it wasn't specifically applied to, like, the Universal Lobster. So not only was I, like, loved The Favorite as a movie itself, and uh, Peter, you summed it up best. Like, it has so much, like, acid and venom and the performances are great and it's shot so well and it feels like both very modern but also like a – it feels like a little Barry Lyndon-ish, right? Like a, like a, a, a remarkably – uh, talented visual filmmaker creating a a movie set in a previous era, but still has some hallmarks of like modernism or moder- or modernity that like seep through in the way people behave and talk and act and stuff like that. And so, but also for me too, it was like this. Oh, okay, Yorgos Lathimos didn't lose anything. I know a lot of people really like Killing of a Sacred Deer. But for me, it was uh, – and Rick Kelly, a uh, frequent guest on the show, we both were like, mm, uh-oh, maybe maybe this – he's not going to have as long a career as I was hoping. And the fact that this – like, the idea that – I know Dogtooth was nominated for a Best Foreign Language uh, Picture, but it always feels like they give – like, the fact that this was – a Yorgos Lathimos movie was up for, like, all the major awards <laughs> uh, – is so funny and amazing to me. Like that's a we live in a very bad universe a lot of the time. That's a good one. That Olivia Coleman won an Oscar for yeah. the favorite. That is amazing. what the hell. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> it is it is one of the most stirring performances I've seen in a long time because her ability to just like she doesn't it's not so much that she like stretches the confines of what the character can be because that feels like a Nicolas Cage thing. Um she stretches the confines of what the movie is through her performance. Like she 
she makes the movie into something higher, something better, something greater. And the whole movie rests yeah. on the fact that everyone's attention is focused on this queen. Uh, I mean, I literally, I literally had my mother-in-law and my, I guess, aunt-in-law, their sisters that like, were like, Oh yeah, we saw the favorite last night. Like you guys went to go see it. Your ghost left. Like what world is this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was so good. Your ghost uh, got soft. I feel we talked enough about the burning, which, uh, pardon me, it's, it, it is just burning at number nine. I Bur- think the this... burning, also a very good movie. Covered on the podcast. <laughs> burning, I think, is a fantastic freaking movie. Stephen Yeun's performance in that is great. He's I. So oh, God, He's so yes. <laughs> <laughs> he just is. Sorry, go on. That movie is. You could have about 15 different interpretations of what actually happens in that movie, and I think all of them might be correct. <laughs> yeah, it's... But I feel like the movie has, like, 15 different possible endings that are all possibly correct. So I don't think I can say which ending is potentially correct, but I still have a feeling about it. It's it's a really interesting movie, and, I mean, my personal feeling is she just moved somewhere and she's not dead. Yeah. That's skip, a- skip ahead. Skip ahead 10 seconds on your thing. Quick go. I think he's a serial killer. <laughs> I think you're wrong. Well, I know. That's why I said I read your take and I'm like, I disagree. But I hard thing to get in in, in this podcast unless we're doing a burning podcast. Peter, you're at you're number, number nine. nine. Number nine. Widows. Chicago nice. time, Joseph. So how... How the fuck did they capture a side of Chicago, which is a pretty well-shot city? How the fuck did they capture a side of Chicago that uh, almost never gets shot? The answer is you shoot the south side and the the far west side. And it's all so distinctive. Like, it feels like Chicago. It is Chicago. It's it's the Chicago that I love and I miss very much. Um, Would you say it's the Chicago way? It's the Chicago way. Um... But it's uh, it's one of those movies that it's not a love letter to Chicago. It's not fucking Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But it's um, it, that is one of the reasons that I I love it so much is because I have an appreciation for the way that it um, created a world that I'm familiar with, um, not fully familiar with. I'm not a criminal from like a criminal family fighting for political hierarchy in the South Side of Chicago, uh, but. <laughs> but uh, it's a it's a town that I love and a town that I lived in for most of my my uh, my life uh, up until a couple of years ago. And um, the way that it captures every character as different facets of what the city is, is just so scalpel sharp. Um, and the way that captures the disparity between the rich and the poor in Chicago is scalpel sharp. Like you can tell like you walk one block uh, over this way. There's a, this amazing shot in the movie where they drive um, from uh, this, this area that's clearly is very, very low income. And just, you just drive a couple blocks over and then you're in front of a fucking mansion. Um, it, it's, it's, it is the movie basically asking you to pay attention to a conversation but in the background it's like hey do you understand what we're doing (laughs) like this isn't just about this isn't just about you know there's some rich guys that are mad and there's some poor guys that are mad and watch them fight it's like this is very much about uh the income uh inequality that's going on in in the city so uh i've said widows is kind of like i think like almost better than uh than heat like i think widows it deserves the level of like 
this is one of the greatest heist movies of all time. It's up there with Michael Mann's work um, and taking a Pelham 123 and Rafifi and yada yada. It's, it's high art um, through a genre, genre through a high art scope. Uh, my number eight is, uh, ironically, I didn't even get this till right now. I didn't do this on purpose. Is eighth grade, um, which nice. is Olivia, that, that is higher up my list. Yeah, which is uh, Bo Burnham's uh, insanely competent and insightful uh, directorial uh, debut. A comedian I always very much liked. Uh, an amazing performance by uh, Elise Fisher, I believe is how her first name is pronounced. Elise. I believe it's Elsie El- El- Fisher. Elsie Elsie Fisher. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I really do like it's it's crazy because I, I don't really see a, a universe where Booksmart's not on my 2019 list, and obviously Lady Bird was on my 2017 list. I do love that, like, there's like these kind of uh, once in a year iconic movies about the adolescent experience is that have now come out three years in a row are coming from the perspective of of uh, women or girls in in high school and elementary school because I feel like. That is a change. I, I uh, you know, uh, it was typically like the there was like the movies about girls in high school were specifically like targeted towards girls, and then um, and then the ones about like boys in high school or junior high or stuff like that were like you know more universal. It's like the difference between like a Bring It On or a Super Bad or Ferris Bueller or something. And so like the fact that we've had three years in a row of like these amazing movies talking about what it's like while while also like bringing in all of the post me too stuff and and what it feels like to kind of be in a very vulnerable position with a bunch of assholes who are out there looking to take advantage of stuff like that and like it just and while still being very funny and well directed and humorous it's just it's just it's really great to see and yeah this there's a there's a part there's a scene in this movie where where Fisher is in the back of a car driving home while someone is trying to like pressure her and coerce her into doing something that she's just not a doesn't want to do, but also is ultimately not ready to do with anyone, let alone um, this person, but also feeling that pressure of like, this is an older kid. What do I do? I'm sure is a universal experience in talking to someone like my wife who saw it. And, you know, friends of mine that I talked to about this, that like, is something that isn't hasn't really been as represented in movies in a way that is like this well done and and with this much um intensity. So, yeah, it's just a fantastic movie. It is a uh and it, and again, I I think universally it it captures what it feels like to be to be that age and to really feel like you have stuff to say and or feel like you're this person with this identity but also just uh not not in a position or uh, don't feel confident enough to say it to to you know the people that you're around every day yeah that's a great way of putting it it's a this yeah (laughs) i already sort of rounded out the edges there with with other things in the periphery i love but yeah it, it, it was a gut punch of a movie for me i can't i can't really put it any other way my movie is leave no trace Okay, I was a huge fan of Winter's Bone, which is the, uh, for a lot of people, was uh, Jennifer Lawrence's first uh, introduction to people. This movie, I feel, is actually better because I really loved how it set up the concept of a guy who 
who obviously has PTSD from some war, which they never say which one, it doesn't really matter, but he has a daughter and he is raising her in a national park. And I love how he is trying to raise her in this weird environment. I think it's a really interesting movie of how a people are trying to live outside of what we consider society. And I think Ben Foster is freaking fantastic in it. And, uh, and also, uh, Thomason, uh, pardon me, Thomason McKenzie, I believe is her name. It's, it's a really interesting movie. It's a great movie about parents trying to do what they can outside of society, which is not the a thing that we occasionally encounter. Yeah, well, I like I said, I was it didn't really resonate for me all that much. Uh, it was I love Winter's Bone. Peter, did you get a chance to see this one? <laughs> oh, I haven't seen this one. No. That's well, then skip okay. over and give us your number whatever eight. My number eight. Won't you be my neighbor? Uh, I already sort of spoke my thoughts on this one, but yeah, I, I think context of a movie is is crucially important. So if this had arrived in 2014, I don't know if it would have had nearly the same impact. Um, but when you put your movies out, the cultural context you put your movies out uh, really, really uh, helps them sing. And that's also why movies sometimes you're like, eh, it wasn't the right time for that movie. Yep. Ten, ten years later, you're like, oh, that was a masterpiece. Um, yeah. So sometimes like movies like Sorcerer came out at the exact wrong time when people did not need them. Um, <laughs> but now it's like, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's clearly a masterpiece. It's on level with, you know, French Connection. Uh, this Everyone movie came out Sorcerer. at the perfect, the perfect, perfect time. And I'm so happy that people got to get a little bit of glimpse of hope um, in their 2018. Uh, and if you haven't seen it yet, uh, have your glimpse of hope now. Yeah. My number seven is a movie that's already been mentioned, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the best comic book movie of the year, the best Spider-Man movie of all time. So I, we, we have a side cast, we do Star Trek, uh, and I kind of talked about on that show, and if I haven't yet, I will, like, one of the reasons I really love Star Trek is this idea to do these, like, things that I never saw anywhere else where I, when I was younger, which is, like, the idea of parallel universes and, and mirror universes and all that kind of stuff. So the fact that, like, that's in a mainstream movie at this point uh, and just, like, oh, yeah, there's 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 mirror universes, there's parallel universes, there's different ones. Everyone will get it. Like, is is what – like, I love that. It's That's up there, like, with time travel that when you do it right, that's going to suck me in every time. So right. the fact that not only did they do it and you get all these different incarnations of Spider-Man on screen, but in this, like, by two of the best mainstream filmmakers working right now, uh, Miller and Lord, who, who scripted it in this amazing animation. It's so funny and has so much good stuff to say. Like, it is, it is the – platonic ideal of what a superhero movie should should be and i feel like it was able to be that because it wasn't like i think one of the reasons why they like i didn't talk about aquaman which came out this year but i really like aquaman and i really liked shazam from 2019 and i really i'm really into this idea of even though i am a general defender of the marvel movies this uh yeah, you know, we have all these properties. Like not everything needs to be connected. Like we'll give you X amount of money. It's not going to be one of our flagpole or flagship or tentpole movies. And yeah, go make a fucking Spider-Man movie. Who cares if we're making other Spider-Man movies or go make a Venom movie? Like uh even though it looks like it's terrible, I kind of like the idea of just going and making a Joker movie and by the time this comes out, we'll have, we'll know how bad it is. Uh but like 
yeah, do more of that. Just go make a movie with these characters. And I feel like that's what Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse did so well uh, and with amazing results. Joseph, your number All right. My number seven is The Favorite. This movie is so goddamn good. I cannot express just how well that is. These are the three best women characters and performances of the, of 2018. Not even a question. Yeah. All right, Peter, your turn. Number seven, uh, another documentary, Free Solo. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's oh. in my 20s. So Good. Free Solo, as someone who uh, about three years ago got into rock climbing, I feel like uh, I have a... I have a decent sense of what is going on in the movie and how astronomical the accomplishment is. Like I have, just because. So I have would like you a, would you say that? It. So would you say that you appreciate Free Solo on a deeper level than us? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying because I understand ten percent of it, I know how far far it goes, um, how high up this this uh, mountain goes, so to speak. Um, he, he The athletic accomplishment that Alex Honnold pulled off is, is just, it's it's insane, yes. Um, but, but I feel like the movie does a really great job at, even if you know nothing about climbing, even if you know nothing about the activity, even if you think what he's doing is just stupid bullshit, it, it finds an amazing way to just make you at peace with it. And it, it, it helps explain what rock climbing is to beginners. And it helps explain what the fuck, like, how, how the level of strength and training and men, just mental solidarity you need in order to pull off something like this. And, like, I, uh, it, it's gorgeously made. It's gorgeously shot. It has a sense of, it has a sense of place and a p- sense of excitement. And that, like, even if you know, like, Alex Honnold survives all this, you're not watching a movie about a man dying. Um, Just all of his friends. Yeah, you're not watching, a, <laughs> uh, you're not watching a snuff movie. You're watching something that's snuff adjacent. Um... But uh, Jimmy Chin uh, directed Maru a bunch of years ago. And I was like, after that, I was like, okay, this guy can do any, he can shoot anything. Um, And as someone who's not generally into sports documentaries and is not generally into most athletic activities, this movie just like snuck up on me. I was like, okay, so this is not just like a really awesome National Geographic documentary. This is a a true great work, capital G, great work. Well, I I thought it was also an interesting like portrait of obsession which he like says himself right like the reason he is this good at what he does is he like spends every waking moment doing it and like thinking about it and focusing on it and i thought the most like interesting scene to me was at the end of the movie when he finishes the climb and he's celebrating and like he has like 15 minutes maybe 10 minutes even where he's like excited and calling people and has a big smile on his face and then like 20 minutes later, he's like, yeah, well, it's only 9 a.m. I think I'm going to try to get another climb in here later this afternoon. Like, this is a monumental achievement. (laughs) But for him, it's like he had the same level of, like, excitement as, like, when I finish a book. Like, oh, finish this book. Let me post about a great book. Hope everyone reads it. Yeah, I finished the book cover to cover. All right. What's the next book I'm going to read? Like, and it's just because, like, for him, it's just like it's – he, and they talk about this in the movie because they like x-ray his brain and he's like oh he doesn't get joy the way other people do so yeah i thought as like a portrait of obsession too it's um 
uh, it's very interesting besides just, yeah, all the beautiful photography. But anyways. Yeah, even if you don't give a shit, I feel like even if you don't give a shit about the hobby and, and like, I, I, my my connection to the hobby is, is largely, I mean, re- in a relative sense, uh, very tangential. Um but uh, even if even if you you have no connection to the hobby, just watch it as yeah, portrait of obsession. That's a good pitch, yeah. I think, Aaron. Uh, number six for me is the movie that was most personally resonant to me um, of the year, which was uh, Tully. Uh, Jason Reitman, Charlie Theron starring, uh, uh, scripted by Diablo Cody, about uh, a mother who uh, is working really hard, taking care of all the kids and feeling like she's losing touch with her younger self until she meets a friend who is in her 20s and kind of goes to um, goes to uh, spend time with her more and kind of remember what it was like to be younger. Now, this is, I will say, like, uh, so it's an amazing Charlie Theron performance. Diablo Cody delivers a fantastic script here. Jason Reitman comes back from a couple super shitty movies and makes a good one again. I'm all for all that. But also just like – so I obviously don't have the level of um, feeling like like my wife is be or my life is being overwhelmed by uh, parenthood as the character in this movie. But I do have those moments that this character goes through where it's like – like where you're almost jealous of your 22 or 23-year-old self, which is like – Oh, yep, tomorrow it's Saturday, and I'm going to wake up at 6.30, and I'm going to find activities for us to do, and and then I'm going to have to make meals and naps, and we're going to try to clean where I can and stuff like that. Like, that's that's part of, like, being a, a parent. And there there's moments where it's just like, you know what would be nicer on Friday? What if I uh, went out to a bar with friends and then slept till 1? Wish I could do that. Used to be able to do that. Don't get to do that anymore. <laughs> and like, not, and as Charlie Theron's character in this movie, it's not that she would want to lose everything that she has, but there is just sometimes a jealousy of who you used to be and wishing you could get glimpses of that back. So, um, it is, it like I said, as someone who is, uh, you know, who has those thoughts sometimes it just was a very personally like oh like i understand this character completely and and has a a a twist i didn't see coming but also like it's it's not a twist for shock value it just kind of underlines how deep all of those themes i already mentioned were so uh i think uh i don't know i don't know if both of you guys have seen it but i haven't largely because of uh i I wasn't a big young adult guy but i feel like i should return to both of those movies young adult i would give like three and a half stars like i I like young adult i think tully is both of diablo cody and jason reitman's like masterpiece but oh awesome joseph your number six my number six is the miseducation of cameron post yeah that was number 20 on my list that's a great movie it's a really good movie about 90s basically education of gays to be not gay god it's such a really good interesting movie about what do you do when the people who you trust think you should be something that you aren't it's a very very 1990 uh, i believe it's 1993 movie cool my number six is you were never really here um we're gonna be talking about last month we talked about lynn ramsey um and uh, her ability Last to month. transcend the, the sense of time and space that we're in and this is a movie that uh takes guys wait till you hear this it takes a genre subject matter 
and it transcends it with this really prestige wonderful approach. So it's a movie that uh, takes Joaquin Phoenix, who is like this like powerful force, and settles him into a role that they could have easily just, you know, given him a couple monologues and the rest of the movie could have been a straight hitman movie. Instead, it's like every moment is infused with his pain. It's, it's a movie that oozes noir and it oozes pathos. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a character study that's posing as, um, you know, a hitman movie. But I think a lot of the best hitman movies are just character studies like Leon the Professional or La Samurai. Like, um, I, I yeah. feel like that's kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of a, a tradition in the genre. Would you so, say, yeah, would it. you say he's holding up the mirror to society? I think he's holding up two mirrors to society. So you can see be, the people that he's trying to kill behind him. Yeah. So look for, uh, <laughs> look for in 2020 when we do our best of 2019. And my number six <laughs> is Joker. <laughs> uh, we're recording this we'll in October. It. Yep. It has not come out yet. Also for the record, uh, the movie he was talking about came out in October that we did. Uh, it's January, Peter. Uh, I thought we were putting this out in November. We never do. No, January 1st. <laughs> How am I supposed to remember that? I know we've done Happy it this is our fourth year. year. Um, anyways. Are you uh, saying my, that my, uh, it, I wouldn't, if this were a high school, I wouldn't be graduating? Nope. Sorry. You're staying back a year because you don't, you don't know when to put in your final exam. Um, uh, my number five is a movie already been mentioned uh, by both Peter and Joseph. And that is Sorry but to Bother You. not or not special, right? Uh I think it was it was an Ani or a Speci for you. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go on. Joseph. It was a, it was a don't like for you, Peter. Uh, sorry to bother you, which uh, is a movie, again, I've already mentioned once on this podcast how much I like maximalism. It feels like the movie that Boots Riley has been trying to make for 20 years, and he want, didn't know if he was ever going to be able to make another one. Uh, and he crammed every idea that he's ever had that goes to uh, his his uh, his uh, band's The Coup album. Actually, he has tried to make, tried to make this for a long time because they released an album, Sorry to Bother You, that was, like, based on this script at that time in, like, 2012, I think. So, um, which has, like, songs like uh, the a lot of very famous songs, like The Guillotine and stuff like that. It goes in so many twists and turns. It's, it's one thing for 20 minutes. It's another thing for 20 minutes. And, yeah, uh, the ending, the last 20 minutes, is a whole different thing that you probably weren't expecting. But, God, it is so, like, I like movies that are angry and passionate. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely, like, it's definitely messy. And as someone who's now watched this movie about five times because I keep showing it to people, like, I see the messiness more than I did on first watch. But it's kind of fine to me. Like, this kind of, like, shaggy, like, just someone screaming into the abyss with all these things that he's been wanting to say in this in this medium for so long, like, all of it still works for me, even as I see the seams a little more than I did the the first time. So, um, yeah, sorry to bother you. Rules. Joseph, you're number five. My number five, because we all decided that this is a 2018 movie, Paddington 2. <laughs> yeah, that's when it was released in America, so the studio that released that it. That movie is so goddamn good, and it has one of the most... It's a beautiful, beautiful movie about being an immigrant, which is my god. Yeah, uh, my I was actually surprised. My daughter uh, loves both Paddington and Paddington Two, and I was kind of surprised because I tried to show it to her once, my five year old, 
And she was kind of not into it. And then, like, I waited a year again to show her Paddington. And then she, like, she watches Paddington 2 all the time, which is great. It's my number 18. I love it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I have it as, uh, I have it in my top five as well. And it oh. has, it, it, similar to Won't You Be My Neighbor, um, it has a sense of wholesomeness, a sense of calm in the storm. It, it uh, It's a movie that I think a lot of us needed. And when I first watched, I, I watched actually both of them this year. Because um, finally, I'm kind of surprised relented, about that, Peter. I relented to the memes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I thought they were just, I thought it was just like a meme that the movie was good. And I thought I was going to watch it and be like, oh yeah, the bear is cute. But like, okay, we, we made some memes about it. Um, and then I watched the first one. I was like, this is one of the best like just yeah. just pieces of entertainment that I've ever seen, like focused on children. Uh, absolutely. Um, but it's one of the best pieces of entertainment I've ever seen. Um, and then I watched Paddington two and it somehow even surpassed that. And yeah. it, yes, it's like a filmmaking wonder. It's made by a com like a comedy team that like made, you know, <laughs> British comedies, like British comedy shows. And, um, had no particular family focus to it but what they brought in was uh a sense of tight joke construction uh they wrangled characters into they wrangled actors into giving actual character performances and being like this is what you represent in the movie this is who you are in the movie Um, well and the great thing about british shows too is that they're either literally the funniest thing in the world and redefine comedy or the worst thing you've ever seen in your life yes 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 (laughs) they're either monty python or mr bean yeah exactly exactly and um Paul King, the director, he worked on Mighty Boosh and a bunch of other British shows that I just adore. And his sense of playfulness, his sense of fun, but also just like, this is how jokes work, folks. Like, I I worked this out on the road. I worked it out in skit comedy. Like, this is how jokes work. It doesn't matter if you're five years old or 50 years old. Like, um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, Paddington 2 is also in my top five. uh, Is that your number five? Because it's your Uh, turn for five. My number five is uh, Annihilation. Uh, Annihilation is a movie that I hated for a little bit because it's very, very similar to, not hated uh, as a film that I actually saw, hated it as a concept because I saw the the ads for it and I was like, oh, I love Alex Garland. I love Natalie Portman. I love what this thing is doing. And then I slowly realized as I was watching the ads that it was based on a book. And then I went... I checked out the book a little bit, and I was like, oh, fuck, this sounds really similar to the book that I wrote and didn't send to anyone. Oh, this is so making me so fucking mad. And then I saw the movie, and it's pretty different, actually. But I thought, uh, I thought you were probably like, hey, in my day, we only had one Annihilation, and it was preceded by the words Mortal Kombat colon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't like movies uh, with titles that have already been done. Um, it better be the first time I've heard the word. That's why Paddington 2 gets zero stars because Paddington 1 exists. Um, but, uh, Annihilation is a movie that approaches, um, and you're going to hear about this in my number four as well. I love the idea of a personal apocalypse becoming universal. Um, that's one of my favorite personal themes that I've been chewing on for like five years is this idea of like, what's this sort of tumult going on in your own life, uh, expanding out to to conquer the world and conquer the universe um or maybe just conquer your town um so that's why uh, i love annihilation and also it's it's one of those movies that just has like just drops an amazing horror scene in the middle of it oh yeah just like yeah 
what a the couple. Fuck? The, the bear Hold scene on. is like, what the fuck? What's the fuck is up with the the bear scene? Like, uh, but also the tentacle wall scene. Yes, <laughs> or yes. vine wall scene. Yes, yes, yes. But that's like to me, that's like an image. The bear scene at like shot by shot. I'm like, oh, he just wanted to make like one of the scariest movie scenes of the year and just bury it, bury it in this sci-fi horror movie. This is going to be a movie we're talking about in 15 years. I yep. guarantee it. Uh, I'll talk more about Annihilation in a moment, but for now, my number four is maybe I scooped Peter on this one because I can't imagine it's not in your top four, Peter, is a movie called Mandy. Um, yeah, yeah, I did it. This and uh, actually all the ones in the top four had spent time as my number one movie and... It, Mandy is like I saw it when it was in theater screening at the Alamo I'd heard things about it for a year from like people I follow on Twitter being like Mandy is something else like uh, you need to go see this and then of course uh, one of the things that sucks about hearing like the reviews from those uh, film festivals is that it doesn't actually get released so I can see it a year later like I don't know Parasite would be a good example of that right now um, Guys, but it, fuck how long it takes shit from get to to get from festivals to my face like it's so it's so annoying um but yeah this this is a major city and i have the internet why can't i see this right now i was not the biggest fan of cosmotos cosmotos how do you say his last name cosmo sorry panos cosmotos panos cosmotos um, I was I was not the biggest fan of now I'm blanking on what his previous movie's name was. Uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. It seemed like it'd be really up my alley. I really liked the last half hour of it. I was I was hoping for a five star movie based on the way people were talking about it. I kind of got like a three three and a half star movie from my perspective. This was everything I wanted from someone who just knows how to use uh just swath and neon colors and images and then still making this extremely wonderful like horror plot of like these creatures and revenge and having what you love taken from you and literally going into the bowels of hell to confront jesus slash satan uh and and just for for revenge and it like again like you you hear uh nicholas cage get his wife gets his wife killed by a cult and he goes on revenge and you're thinking of a very different movie than what this movie is and it is just god the soundtrack so good it is it is like the best uh album cover you've ever seen stretched into two hours and it's so goddamn good like uh definitely i'd say it's my best my favorite horror movie of the year but i guess it's not because we're gonna be talking about one more joseph I'm sure, Peter, you have more thoughts on Mandy coming up soon. Yeah, So, Joseph, <laughs> Joseph, what is your number four? Oh, eighth grade. She really should be eighth. <laughs> <laughs> eighth grade is a movie that I feel like it kind of nails certain parts about being in eighth grade. I mean, oh, God, that sounds stupid. I think it has some things to say about seventh and ninth grade, too, if I'm being honest, Joseph. Right. Peter, what's your number four? Uh, First Reformed. So First Reformed is a movie that I just I just mentioned a theme. Uh, personal apocalypse is becoming universal. So the, what the tumult that's going on inside this guy's brain, uh, this priest's brain, uh, is uh, expanding outward 
Um, the funny thing is I watched it and I didn't compare it to Taxi Driver at all until like afterwards when I was like thinking about, I was trying to uh, synthesize my thoughts and I was like, who made this movie, yada, yada. When I was watching it, I, w- I wasn't watching it as like a movie with an inevitable sense of uh, catast- uh, catastrophe at the end. I watched it as a movie where I was like, this guy's going to figure something out, right? Or maybe he's not. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and and yes, it's the most depressing movie of the year. But uh, it's a movie that wrangles with the spiritual malaise of our times in a way that I think more films need to. And even as someone who considers himself not spiritual, um, not religious, um, I, I, I feel like we need more movies like First Reformed that at least contend with the fact that like, we have an innate, we have an innate sense of dignity. We have an innate sense of self that needs to be sated uh, in order for us to kind of keep traveling through the world and be uh, retaining our personhood, retaining who we yeah. are, our dignity. And I, I love, yeah. I love that about the movie because I, I think very few movies are about just like one guy trying to cling to his sense of dignity. Uh, number three for me is uh, the other horror movie, although I guess my number two has some horror elements in it too. Uh, Hereditary, uh, Ari Aster's first movie. I would be shocked if Midsummer is not on this list next year. Uh, God, it is. Uh, it is. It's one of the scariest movies I've seen in theaters in a very long time. But it also just has like this movie starts 30 minutes in with one of the scariest images and grossest things that I've ever seen in any movie. I've seen it probably five times at this point. There is not a moment where, uh, if you haven't seen it, skip ahead 15 seconds, where the girl's head getting cut off and then the way it just sits there does not viscerally bother me. Like, it is incredibly disturbing. Or when the mom comes out after he goes to bed the next day and like you realize what you must have discovered in that car and what that would feel like but then like that's a half hour in it's got another hour and a half of like scary moments and imagery and just like it is just a brilliant brilliant movie and all the way through and like where it ends up is such a fucking like i feel like saying like no you couldn't have seen that coming but it's like it's not even the realm of like Oh, on the horizon, I saw a ship. I guess I didn't know it was going to come to port so soon. It is just an insane place for this movie to end up, but yet still feels like perfect and in line with everything you see. And um, if if Ari Aster wants to keep making these like crazy pagan horror movies for the rest of his life, you're not going to get any complaints out of me. Joseph, you're number three. Uh, that'll be Shoplifters. That is a beautiful Korean movie about... A bunch of kids and adults who are just basically, you know, moving together to be pickpockets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just saw that one recently, too. It really, um, and once you figure out what all their relationship is, it's uh, extremely moving. Yeah. Uh, my number three is Pagton, which I shared my thoughts on. Um, yeah, just a, a, a beacon of light in a very dark world, so... Uh, Aaron, what's your number two? Uh, one that's already been mentioned by Peter. This is why we get to rotate back and forth because we steal a lot of each other's thunder. But Annihilation. Again, that again that spent time at number one. It went down, but I've, I've watched it a couple times. And again, I as a sci-fi concept, I love. As something that doesn't have any easy answers at the end, I love. The fact that there's some major like horror moments in the middle, I love. Like... 
it is a movie that Peter, you said it perfectly. Like we're going to be taught 20 years from now, some kid's going to discover it. Like they discovered 2001 and have their fucking mind blown, you know, in the same way that I hope Ari Aster keeps making, um, or Ari Aster keeps making pagan horror movies for the rest of his career. I hope Alex Garland keeps making these like heady, trippy sci-fi movies because, uh, X, X Machina, I was on my top 10 when we did that one a couple years back. So, Movies are so good right now. The fact that there's, like, Robert Eggers and, like, these people that are making these, like, incredibly well done, like, horror and sci-fi and genre movies. It's, like, everything I ever wanted as a kid. But they were – most of them were, like, sidelined to these B-movies with not good budgets, directors that were only semi-competent and casts and stuff like that that weren't always your best actors. And then, like, the big mainstream stuff, like, shied away from – I think going to these places that these like something like Annihilation goes to now that's willing to be rated R and really truly be scary and disturbing and it's like like it's so such a good time to like genre movies and uh, we talk about horror a lot and we should because we are definitely having a new golden age of horror uh, but uh, but the fact that they are making this good sci-fi movies too is awesome. Joseph, you're number two. My number two is If Beale Street Could Talk. That movie is fucking awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I watched that for my catch-up. Didn't quite make my list as well, but it is, uh, gorgeously shot. And also super, like, God, that movie bummed me out. <laughs> <laughs> it really does bum me out, but my God, it's really good at bumming you out. Yeah, <laughs> it has a very specific bumming you out, too, because, like, there's moments in Widows and, like, unsurprisingly, there's a lot of movies right now uh, about, like, the way that, like, black people in this country work under a different justice system. Yeah. Um, a lot of those are, are based on, like, these big moments that either get resolved or leave you at the end with um, kind of a sense of, I can't believe that happened, like a shock. And this one doesn't. There's no resolution. There's no moment of shock. Like, the thing that happens happens at the beginning of the movie. And it just kind of leaves you with the fact that, like, yep, the system was unfair at the beginning of this movie and racist, not just unfair, like actively racist. Yep. Uh, and it will be unfair at the end of the movie. And that's going to affect everyone around them. Good, good night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Peter. Number two, Mandy. Uh, so, Mandy, for many years, I've been saying this for years, that. Uh, for many years, I've been saying that style is substance. So yep. what I mean by that is that the way that you approach material defines the journey that you go on when you're uh, engaging with that material. So Mandy, if you strip away all the elements, you watch it like a robot. It's just a murder revenge movie. And in that case, if you just chopped out all the crazy fun bits, it would be I don't know, 17 minutes long. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Instead, uh, what it does is it really uh, takes the concept of a fridged woman. uh, Mandy (laughs) um, takes the concept of a fridged woman and it makes the movie just drenched in her. Um, When she leaves the movie, she doesn't leave the movie. She is the movie. She is this, this overarching presence in the movie. Um, and the fact that it's approached with such psychedelic, 
transcendental spiritual energy is just uh, part of the way that it communicates with its audience. It, it doesn't feel like any simple revenge movie. It also doesn't feel like some stoner freakout movie. Yeah. It doesn't really feel like anything you've seen before. And because of that, the unpredictability, but the unpredictability that sort of holds your hand along this dark journey uh, makes it feel like such a, con- a confident journey. Beyond the Black Rainbow was a movie that I admired its style, but I yeah. really, really hated the way it resolved itself. <sighs> yeah. It just yeah, couldn't same gel together. Though, yeah. Yeah. Um, it couldn't gel together. I don't, I don't know why they couldn't figure out a way to just make the third act you know, dramatically compelling, but it just didn't happen. Uh, Visually compelling. Visually compelling almost all the way through. Uh, But this one manages to use the visuals always, always, always as a driving force for your emotions. Um, So I never was bored because my emotions were always being, you know, like pushed and pulled and prodded. And uh, yeah, I felt like I was experiencing an acid dream uh, mixed with an opera. Yeah, uh, I, I'd be willing to say, Peter, if you don't mind, that Mandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you'd be. But my life, my love, and my lady. It's in the sea. And I would say Mandy, I, I disagree with you. I would say Mandy, she came and she gave without taking, but she took me away. Well, so um, I know that my song is actually Brandy, but that's how good Mandy is. It yeah. displaces Brandy from the song. <laughs> Um, <laughs> actually so, it uh so in an annihilation-esque fashion yeah replace um, brandy with mandy so my number one movie of 2018 uh which i feel like follows a theme for what my number one movie has been the last couple of years um uh, in 2016 it was pete's dragon which was like emotionally affecting and heartwarming and like both a blanket but also just kind of filled with like pain Last year was Brigsby Bear, which I feel like is the same thing. Like, uh, so heartwarming and, uh, again, but not but not heartwarming without recognizing that there's trauma or things that have gone on that lead to that. Um, and my number – my 2018 movie is the same except this time it's an actual uh, – I mean, it's not an actual movie. Those are all actual movies. It's a documentary. Which I am surprised as anyone that it's my number one movie of the year. But holy cow, if you haven't seen Minding the Gap, I would recommend doing so because – and I actually – I didn't catch up with it till recently because I couldn't think of anything less that I wanted to watch about a movie about, hey, three skateboard kids in their 20s. I'm, I'm sorry if that seems reductive, but uh, maybe – but like – I don't know. Like I figured it would be like a three-star, three-and-a-half-star movie. Like – 12 o'clock boys like these these kids deal with their their life by having a passion in skateboarding uh and that's not what the movie is about at all let alone the fact that it's about um the 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 one of the skateboard kids is the one who's like making the movie and and as such has been friends with these other two for almost the entirety of his like life he he has a lot more footage than an average documentarian would that uh that came in later bing uh bing lu is one of is the director but also is like was a kid with these other two kids in the movie uh i did not expect it to be about like the cycles of 
parental abuse, specifically father's abuse, and how much it both, and on top of that, touching on poverty and racism and misogyny and like, but essentially how like those cycles of abuse carry over through generations. And literally we're seeing both the effects of that abuse on the three kids in this movie. And in some cases, how they are pat, they, they, they are, they are continuing that cycle um, of abuse in their own life. Um, and skateboarding is a passion that brought them together, but like, it's definitely not a movie about three kids that like skateboarding. Like it is so much deeper in that. Um, and, and, you know, some stuff is like, you know, it's really tough to watch. Not because like you literally have a scene where like the director of this movie confronts his mom with on camera and she like very much wants like, not, not like confronting in like, um, the television news magazine way, but like, uh, uh, very much uh, like I am willing to help. If the, if this is helpful to your process, I want to do this for you. Uh, but just incredibly painful to talk to about like, why didn't you know? Why didn't you do anything? And, and his mom being like, well, I was abused too. Like, I also didn't know what to do. It's just incredibly like it would feel. I think the reason this movie is so special is that if if the director wasn't one of the subjects and knew these other two, it would feel incredibly exploitative. And it's and it's because of the because of how it is, it's it's not that. And then yet it still builds to like a at least, you know, because it's real life. So it's not there's not truly a conclusion. But like the conclusion on a whole leaves everyone in such a at least seemingly better place. They, like there's a there's literally a card at the end where you find out where one of the characters moved to Denver and how he's doing and just has so much joy in this that you are just like emotionally overwhelmed in a way that only like real life can do. Like this isn't just a character in a movie. This is like this is this kid literally like I've seen him for 10 years now. Because that's when, that's when the document, you know, the documentarian started just filming skate videos of these kids. And like, so yeah, it is something else. And again, I don't know why it just was like, oh yeah, though, I'm sure that'll be nice. But it is truly just like, maybe up there with like hoop dreams and other stuff like that is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen in my life. It is something I will return to in the same way that like. Uh, I return to Brigsby Bear or Pete's Dragon or some of those other movies that are like dealing with trauma in a way that still at the end makes me feel elevated while underlying some, in this case, some very real issues that are still ongoing. So that was a lot. Uh, but yeah, Mining the Gap is amazing. My number one is Hereditary. Uh, Hereditary is a movie that speaks to my soul. Uh, my dark occult pagan soul soul i i am so fucking frustrated with both the horror nerds on this one and the filthy casuals i'm so frustrated because the 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 average moviegoer went to this movie expecting a shock every five minutes kind of blumhouse movie which i have nothing against those movies those are (laughs) great i love uh you know the first it movie Uh, those movies are great it's fine insidious is fun all that uh, and then the uh, the honest film goers were trying to somehow say like, oh, this isn't part of the genre. It's elevated horror. It's horror with something to say. 
It's like, go fuck yourself. It's a movie. All horror movies are movies. <laughs> they, out, they always have something to say. Whether or not you're willing to engage with the trashiness of it, the lack of respectability of it, the um, the the uh, seemingly, um, what is it, like audience digging nature of it uh, is on you. That's that's not on the horror movie. So that's why I love this movie because it perfectly exists between, it. it, it is a straight up family tragedy drama. The fact that it laces horror between that and has moments that could qualify both as, you know, family drama and horror um, just goes to show you how, like, everyday life, everyday life throws us off our feet. Uh, everyday tragedy throws you off your feet. Um, the death of, of somebody that you love um, in your specific bubble, in your specific social circle, um will throw you off your feet in the way being chased by a crazed knife-wielding maniac does or being chased by a zombie does. Like, it, it it destroys your perception of what your world is. I'm not saying Ari Aster is the first person to do this. The Changeling is another great example of sort of, like, personal tragedy butting up against supernatural horror. But I love that he decided to make a big, spooky, haunted house movie that gave its family enough time to actually rest in the tragedy, rest in the pain. And I understand why this movie is hard to watch for. I know I I, I started this off sort of uh, uh, acidically um, with acid. Yeah, you sound super angry. Um, uh, With acidity, I should say. I will say, if you can't watch this movie because, say, um, the death of children bothers you, that is totally legitimate, totally fair. Because this movie is asking you to make a rather large pr- uh, premise buy-in uh, about an hour in. Um, yeah, that I think if you take the if you you take the bite and you're willing to go down to hell with Ari Aster on this one, um, you're going to be rewarded. But as someone I, with no kids, I understand why someone with children or with this particularly relatable experience might uh, might be pushed away from this. But uh, I, I need to at least push away from the idea that it's not a horror movie just because it's not delivering you your little fucking popcorn kernels of, of, of horror. And it's somehow better than horror movies because it's willing to invest in characters for a longer period of time than horror movies usually do. I think both of I, those approaches are bullshit. I forget who tweeted this. Uh, it, was, it was someone from the Dissolve, like a Matt Singer, Scott Tobias. But uh, Hereditary, uh, Hereditary received a C-minus uh, cinema score. One of the funniest tweets I saw about it was, like, I understand audiences not liking Hereditary, but who walks out of that movie and goes, yeah, I don't know, C-minus. It really didn't tell the story. I mean, I get it. It's an average, probably a lot of A's and F's, but, like, the overall score, yeah, C-minus. It's good, it's bad. Peter, Joseph, as always, it's been so much fun. Next, uh, next month or this month this is the first january but we're actually going to be starting our uh our normal month uh uh next week uh we we i can tell you the theme we haven't fully finalized the titles for when we are recording this um but the theme is kind of a uh it's exactly six months as i do the math in my head i don't think that's right <laughs> when is august to june five months we'll say five months since the la- since we did some well, well July so July to January and we started Summer of Lovecraft in July so yes exactly six months later I was right the whole time I shouldn't have doubted myself confidence is very important 
we are doing kind of an inverse of that, and that is still Lovecraft, but instead of Lovecraft adaptations, is movies inspired by Lovecraft. So we did a little bit of that with The Mist and Bloodborne, but we're going to do a whole month of it because we were so had so much fun doing that, and there were so many other movies on our lists that uh, that are Lovecraft inspired. Uh, we're kicking it off with that. So, Peter, I think we do have some titles. I don't know what's going to be next week, but we can list off some stuff. Um, that is definitely yeah. gonna be, we're definitely going to be doing. We're definitely be. Well, we're definitely going to be doing the void. There you go, the void. Um, maybe next week, maybe doing, not. We're definitely going to be doing the, a double team of Lucia Fulci's City of the Living Dead and the and Beyond. The Beyond, yeah. Um, uh, so and, those are those are our, our definites right now. And then we also wanted to do a little French movie that Aaron's quite fond of, and I am now quite fond of because of Aaron. Just a little French movie. Um, uh, playtime. Um, no. <laughs> Lovecrafting horror of a movie that people think is good but is not. Uh, this is something sorry. you you really wanted to. Look I can't even remember. It's late. Took me five minutes to describe. Uh, or you what, took me five minutes to be convinced, just, and now I'm on the. On I the knew team. there was something I was passionately fighting for, but honestly, I don't remember what. Martyrs. Oh, martyrs. Oh yeah, we're definitely fucking doing martyrs. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's a movie I spent years convincing Peter to watch, and he did not believe me that it was like not a torture porn movie, and that it was actually right up his alley. And I, and Peter, correct me if I'm wrong. That after years of me saying this to you, you still looked at the spoiler to it, and then decided, oh, I guess Aaron was right. I'm gonna watch it. No, no, I, <laughs> I over somebody t- somebody on a podcast spoiled it for me, and then I was like, okay, okay I guess that's yeah, I can watch that. Okay. Yeah, I I kept saying like Peter, we literally have known each other for years. I know what movies you like. Trust me, <laughs> Martyrs is like beeline down your alley. And nope, finally. But now we're yeah we're doing it on the show probably next week because I want to recount this story to so many people. And then uh, I probably I can't really see a scenario where we don't do Peter Weir's Last Wave. But if there is a scenario where we don't do it, uh, we'll cut this part out of the podcast. So one of those coming up next week for another month of spookiness and that's probably good because i think we gave you too many non-spooking chills in in december uh i think we owe you eight months of spookiness after uh hallmark christmas month yeah oh for sure um and uh you know if we're just you know maybe editing stuff out i i feel like we maybe might do richard stanley's color out of space will that be out though it'll it'll be out yeah we're definitely doing that whenever. So I don't know when that when that gets released we're gonna watch, but just to be clear, we're going right back and recording an episode and just throwing it up because that one is we're recording an episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's I think it'll be out by fucking it's, January. It's, it's the lost summer of Lovecraft. Jesus uh what's Christ. the name we of made this release date on September seventh? It better fucking be out by January. Well, I th- I thought they were seeing it at like TIFF and Film Festival. Anyways, We'll we'll do it whenever it comes out. I'm so pumped for that movie. But anyways, otherwise, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020, uh, a year that will live in infamy depending on how it ends up. So great. Glad we're here. Uh, Good night, everyone. Good night. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? 
I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, might as well say, would you be mine? Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>